Welcome to Financial Foresight. This podcast was made by four fee-only CFP professionals to help consumers understand the financial industry. Let's meet your hosts. They're either naive, they're stupid, or they're lazy. You know, the other thing is, is uh, my ceiling fan just went out in my kitchen today. He is the commander in chief on this video right now. And uh, man, I am feeling controlled and empowered and safe. Don't stop for Dwight's baby. We can edit that out. (laughs) All of the podcast hosts are owners of RIAs registered in their respective home states. All commentary on this podcast represent the opinions of individuals and not their firms. All commentary is financial education, not financial advice. So let's get started. Welcome to the Financial Foresight Podcast. Today, we are joined with three of us. So Ian is out. So we have Colin, Dwight, and myself. And we are going to chat on buy versus rent from the standpoint of making decisions of how we want to live or decisions we want to make about our living situation. We touched on it a little bit last week, but we knew we didn't necessarily have the time to do it justice. So bringing it back this week to have that conversation. So Colin, Dwight, thoughts on renting versus buying? So I think uh, your parents would probably tell you that if you don't buy a home, then you probably did not live a very successful life. Um, <laughs> to try to bring that to the most uh, sarcastic point uh, of view. And at least I know that's true for probably my parents and uh, a lot of the, my friends and you know their f- families and parents trying to get them and encourage them to buy a home. But it is so interesting when you really start breaking it down the context of is a home a good investment and usually it's a comparison of well my rent is a waste and it's what what makes it so interesting is that uh you you obviously are trying to compare apples to apples and usually when i'm doing it i'm trying to do it on a net worth basis so uh at the end of the day when i get done uh, if everything else is the same did i actually make more money or save more money do i have a larger net worth after buying a home for a certain amount of time versus renting. And I think it is a common misconception that purchasing a home, you're just able to simply pay on a mortgage instead of paying on rent and then turn around and whenever you move or make a transition, sweet, I have the equity in my home. Thank goodness I didn't waste my money on rent. And that's so far from the reality uh, because after maybe even if your rent is the same dollar amount as your mortgage the the transition of buying and selling a home is there's so much friction there and so much cost of you know paying the realtor paying the appraisal fees paying the retitling fees all these things that go into it that a lot of times all of the equity that you did have going into the home is eaten up very quickly also not to mention that when you take out that 100 200 300 x amount of money on a mortgage your payment for the first couple of years is pretty much going all into interest at least, you know usually it's around 90 to 95% of your mortgage payment for the first few years is going into their interest. So you're not even building on the equity until you get into the next, the first maybe four, five, six years. So when people say that rent is a waste, especially if my rent is a thousand and my mortgage could be a thousand, um, I, I really uh, kind of cringe at that statement, especially if they're just trying to do it as a quote unquote investment. Yeah, as a recovering Midwesterner myself, um, Colin, I think you uh, hit the nail on the head there that I think 
uh, I, I grew up with that same mentality. Um, hey, you have to have a home um, as part of your you know financial plan, or that's a piece of success. And I think there's some truth to that. Again, if you can hold it long term, um, but a lot of people, to your point, don't, and they're buying or selling within a few years, um, and so that becomes a challenge. And in terms of lifestyle, there's also the, kind of that arbitrage of where you live. Um, I just looked at something the other day, I think Business Insider put this article of what it costs for a home in each state, and where I live in Colorado is like number five uh, in terms of the highest uh, most expensive in Kauai, Washington, D.C., California are all ahead of uh, Colorado. So this discussion is a little bit different out where I'm at uh, in terms of, you know, there's a lot of people that are just fine with renting. Um, uh, also, again, from a lifestyle perspective, I don't want to be tied down to a house and have to deal with all of that. And I can certainly share some of my own personal experiences with owning a house as well. So uh, including the ceiling fan is here in the intro. <laughs> Yeah, I was, gonna, I was waiting for that to come. Um, <laughs> two really good points that you both made. And when you look at the whole idea of a home being an investment, we're not talking about renting out a room. We're, not, we're talking solely you or your family living in that home. You can house hack and do other things to make it make a little bit more sense from a, an investment piece. But um, there was two really good articles that I'd saved from a while ago. One from Ken Fisher, which if you've ever heard of Ken Fisher, he hates annuities. He also hates uh, people buying houses for investments because he ran a lot of the numbers and it was interesting in the article and I'll link to both of these talking about some of the best regions, even Seattle's um, housing market that had grown and expanded crazily and you would think would be a great place to, to own after including all costs was about only 2% annually. And if you think about other investments, it's, you know, eight or 10%, depending on what you're doing. Even if you had invested a little bit more conservatively, there is still more gain than 2%. And so a lot of what's lost to per, per Collins point is if you're renting, there could be some excess money from the property taxes you don't owe or all these other, you know, the furnace blows up and you have two grand that you need to, you know, fix there that money can be put somewhere else. So you could invest that. The issue is, and why so many people encourage home ownership is people are terrible at saving money. And so if you have a home, it's a forced savings mechanism. And that is really why so many times people prefer having the home because it forces them to save. And Dwight, we'll come back in a second. You can talk about some of the tax advantages, which those have been gone away since the tax and job um, act, tax act that was passed. So but another article written by an XYPN member, Eric Roberge, talked about why he'll never own a home. And it's really, really good as well, talking about how, you know, if you add in inflation, even with, you know, the returns, you're still beating the average return on a single family home by three to 4% if you would rent and invest the rest. So there's a lot of facts that go out there and explain buying a home as an investment and saying that this is the, the big piece of your investment future is a poor one. And then the last stat that I'll give you, and we'll link to as well, is Charlie Bellow on Twitter puts out a ton of information and he ran U.S. home prices growth by decade from 1891 to 2018. And the real annualized return, so that's after inflation, is 0.3%. So a third of 1% is really what you would have earned 
Again, that's all across the United States. We're not talking if you bought in California in the 60s, right on the beach. But for most people, that's really what you're earning. It is really, really low. So it's not an investment. It's a lifestyle decision, first and foremost. That's, that I'm glad to hear that you actually had some some numbers from a study because uh, I've been using uh, uh, Robert Schiller, uh, Nobel Prize winner's numbers, who comes out with uh, the single family home data and he has gone so far back in history uh, it works or uh, he's a professor at yale you can get his uh data for free at their website we can link to it in the show notes uh he does stuff with the s p 500 and then has also created his own equivalent to the s p kind of a benchmark for single family home sales and he found almost the exact same thing that after inflation for the last 100 years or 80 or 90 years has been right around a half a percent um, which if, if you're thinking about from an investment standpoint, like just, just imagine me trying to pitch this to you. So I got this super, super undiversified asset that, uh, is, you know, completely dependent on whatever small little part of the, the economy or city or part of the, the U S that you live or actually anywhere in the world. Um, so let's just say that you live in Austin, Texas, or you live in Detroit, Michigan, and all of a sudden or the oil recession hits or the auto recession hits. Uh, your home, and we've experienced it here in the Midwest, I live in, in Michigan, where the whole city has, has experienced a huge dramatic slump uh, in home sale prices because the jobs just weren't around here because we were so dependent on auto manufacturers. So if your home is tied to a certain sector of the economy or in a subsector even of just a couple of successful uh, businesses, you know, how undiversified could you possibly get? So not only are we undiversified now, uh, you are the one who is responsible for something that's inevitably going to go wrong. I mean, houses are made up of, you know, plumbing and electricity and all kinds of different intricacies all wired in together and things wear and tear. So now you're assessed, uh, you're, you're the one taking the risk uh, and having to pay for insurance, not to mention property tax. And oh yeah, by the way, we're expecting this whole thing to grow at about three to three and a half percent per year, uh, you know, at a nominal rate. So a real rate, probably a half a percent. Uh, this sounds like an absolutely miserable investment. Uh, how do I stay away from this? If you're looking at it from just that point of view. Now on the flip side, uh, if you have to compare apples to apples to your alternative, like such as renting, well, then I think you really need to take the mindset that living is expensive. Just living is an expense. So if you stay in a home for 10, 15, 20 years, you're able to really start getting some equity in that space. Uh, you know, that, that's where the math really starts to kick in. And then when you turn around and sell the home, you have something to recoup your expenses. You have an asset that you can withdraw and take back on some of these expenses. Um, I almost think that you need to shift your mindset for homeowners from an investment to how do I reduce my living expenses? So if you at least can have something to turn around and, and say that, yes, I can sh you know sell this house and have some money back from having all these living expenses, awesome. I think you can probably end up above than what you were if you were just renting for 15, 20 years. But if you're under that 10-year frame, 
gosh, you are pretty much flipping a coin whether the your house just happened to go up 10% in value over the last three years and maybe you got a good deal and your uh, the buyer didn't have to use a, a realtor and you can cut your commission from 6 to 3% or maybe you got lucky and you, your roof didn't blow off and you weren't like me and had to replace your washer, dryer, refrigerator, and dishwasher in the first 18 months. Uh, you know, it, there, there's just uh, expenses and dangers left and right so much beyond just the rent cost versus my mortgage cost comparison. Um, so, I, yeah, I think I think we're kind of just beating a dead horse on that. But if the horse keeps coming up, we got to keep beating it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I think, again, that whole holding period thing, I think, is, is really key to when does this make sense, right? So if you're going to hold, your, it, it, it tends to be one of the things we hold, people end up holding the longest. And so that's where it starts making a lot, where people think, oh, great, I sold my house for $300,000 and I bought it for one hundred and fifty ten 10 years ago. It's like, well, you know, you've never, you probably haven't held any investment for that long. So what would it have looked like had you, you know, bought an S&P, you know, index fund or something like that for the same period of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, on the other side though, there really are some kind of gotchas in terms of renting. I mean, personally, again, I own a house um, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Colin. Like I had to, we had to put a new siding on our house within a year or two after we bought it, tore down, like did all this stuff. So I think if we were ever to sell this house, we'd have to go back and be like, yeah, this is great, but what did we put into it? But um, I know out here and talking to folks also that are landlords, they're also looking at like, okay, well, I'm not going to renew this person's lease because I want to sell and liquidate this property. So that's fine from the landlord's perspective. But if you're a tenant and all of a sudden, like you're given your 90 days notice or 30 days notice that you've got to go find a new house uh, or a new apartment, like what are you supposed to do? Um, so that can be kind of tough. So again, I think you've really got to look at where are you in your lifestyle and what do you want to be doing? Um, uh, I, again, I think home ownership can make sense again, from a lifestyle perspective of saying like, yeah, this is what I'm going to do. I, I understand the numbers of it. Um, but I would have a really hard time. You know, my wife and I would have a really hard time, I think, uh, renting at this point, especially having uh, a nine month old. Um, but that's my personal yeah, and situation. to round out the three, we also own our own home and I know that we will into the future as well purely because of it's a lifestyle decision. And um, one interesting thing, and I don't know where the stat came from. I think it was talking to a mortgage broker at some point when we maybe refinanced our current house. But the average life of a mortgage is five to six years. So per Colin's go. point, a lot of that is in that range of you're still paying so much in interest payments. And again, you can get different types of mortgages. You can get interest only, or you can do arms and you can do all these different things. And then we're not going to get into all that in this conversation, but for the vast majority of people, they're not staying in a home as long as what they think they are because life happens and life is messy and they need to move or make changes and, and things happen. So just remember that a home is not an investment. It's something that we're all told when we're young from our parents, a lot of times, not necessarily true. And it's funny when you bring this up to people, a lot of people push back. And I've had many, many discussions around this. Again, I'm a homeowner. We're all a homeowner. But um, you just need to understand it's not an investment. Perfect. Uh, should we move on to Tweet of the Week? Tweet all right. Week. Tweet of the Week. Tweet, tweet of the Week. week. Uh, let's see here. Going to the random generator. And uh, 
It is myself. All right. So uh, my tweet of the week here, let me quick pull it up, is from Josh Brown, uh, CEO of Ritholtz Wealth Management. Probably see him on uh, CNBC quite frequently. Uh, he was tweeting, and, and I thought this really hit home uh, kind of for all of us, a little bit of a, a shameless plug to all three of us here because he said that, uh, and this was kind of rounded out numbers here, but on the industry average, uh, last year there was over $1 billion spent on financial literacy. So just trying to help educate the public. Meanwhile, these exact same firms spent 21 times, 21, it was actually closer to $22 billion on marketing, trying to get people into the door to buy their stuff. So I thought that was pretty appropriate and kind of hits home for what we're doing, even on this podcast, of trying to help educate people. And, and I really feel personally that this is almost a good form of marketing. Like you hear all the time of people trying to give more stuff away. Um, but then on the flip, they're like, well, what, you know, well, you got to try to monetize. You got to make sure that you're not spilling your candy in the lobby. And, you know, you're telling your clients too much information, how, you know, what are they going to charge you for? Or what can you charge them for? So wanted to hear your guys' take on just the financial industry as a whole, uh, spending 22 to 21 to 22 times more on marketing versus trying to just simply help educate people. It's a great post. And I saw that as well from Josh. And he's probably one of the most recognized folks in the FinTwit community, which is just financial Twitter. And it, it makes sense, right? There, There's a lot of money to be made in financial services. And there's a lot of noise that often comes. And if you can confuse someone and not educate them, they, they become a, a client for life per se, where if you can educate them, maybe they're going to decide to do it themselves. I don't think that's always the case because we just got done talking about how life is messy and life changes. So many people, their focus is on going to work, you know, generating an income, doing what they do best. And then they want to hang out with their friends and family and have free time. And if they can find someone to offload some of those tasks and still be engaged, but have that trusted partner they can bounce ideas off of, that makes sense. Um, but so much, there's so much misinformation. Even this past weekend, I was up um, my wife had a, a baby shower back home in Crown Point, Indiana, and there was a billboard that said, it's coming, beware the market correction, don't give back your gains. <laughs> I don't think this guy is trying to help anyone no. with education. He's trying to sell them an annuity or some other expensive insurance-based product to quote-unquote lock in their gains. And that's just complete bullshit is what it is. And I took a picture and, and put it up on Twitter and we had fun with uh, a number of different advisors that do things the right way and think about the world and actually wanting to educate and inform people of what's going on. And there's nothing wrong with an annuity if it makes sense, but it shouldn't be the sales pitch to scare people because fear doesn't sell. It does, but it shouldn't. Like if anyone's trying to get you to, to, to sell fear, and I think that's a lot of what financial marketing is, is you got to make a decision. Oh, this is going to happen. Your life's going to be ruined. And sometimes less is more. And just having a good, thorough plan will help alleviate a lot of that stress. And then if we would just educate, especially in high school and in middle school, people to have some just general financial literacy, we would solve a lot of issues from the savings problems and investing. And people could be more educated to make better decisions and not fall and be duped by jokers like this guy up in northwest Indiana. I'm not surprised that that's the statistic in terms of that. I think... 
this has been mentioned by plenty of folks um, before, but you know, back in the day, obviously you really needed financial advisors to get access to those products, whether they were insurance products years ago, um, and then kind of starting switching over to mutual funds. But you know, most people can get a lot of those things relatively easy these days without having financial advisors per se. But I think a lot of folks are starting to realize, yeah, but what should I do? We've kind of gone from a, a time where there was very little information to a time where there's so much information. So now how do we, how do, we do, quote, the right thing or what's best for you? Um, and so I do think there's going to be a big shift in terms of providing some of that. And again, I came from a different background than the two of you, and I know Ian's not on the call, but as a CF CPA, a lot of the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner work, came out of um, some CPA standards back in the 90s. Um, so we've really, CPAs have really focused a lot on the planning, especially around tax, and a lot of true financial planning now is still somewhat tax-based. So I think we're going to see more of that, of here's how we do things, whether it's, you know, here's how your house, uh, how savings account works. Here's, you know, buy versus rent that we just had. How does your portfolio work? You know, how do you buy a car? Um, which is a whole lot different than buy this annuity because you should, you know, which doesn't even get into the fact of, okay, so you're supposed to recognize all these gains, uh, and get this huge tax liability and buy this annuity. Oh, okay. Got it. So, um, I think we'll see more of it. Yeah. I, I don't know. My, my kind of philosophy and I don't expect, and I'm not really surprised that more mark companies spend 21, 22 times on marketing than what they do on trying to just educate people. But I don't know. I, I've, I've kind of put together my videos and I'm not holding back trying to, um, you know, I don't want to keep, or I'm not trying to keep information from, the general public hoping that they'll then work with me because they didn't hear the the good news or the what's important. Um, I really feel like clients, if they're if they're going to take that information and run with it and do it themselves, were they probably going to work with you anyway? I would argue probably not. They're, that's just who they are, or they're going to fight you tooth and nail every year on your cost and your fee and things like that. So um, I'm really trying to show people when I'm putting together my financial literacy and trying to help people uh, how they can seriously get value from a financial planner. And the folks I'm working with will see those videos and say, I need that right there. Can you do that for me? Um, could they do it themselves? Yeah, but you can do a lot of things yourself. I mean, I don't knit my own clothes and I don't uh, build my own houses or do my own stuff there. So um, I think it is, uh, I'm a big fan of financial literacy as my marketing. So how, uh, and versus just strict marketing, you know, hey, look at me, I'm a shiny object. Yeah, that's, in selling off of fear to your point, Isaiah, that, that stuff rubs me the wrong way. It kind of fires me up, to be honest. That is complete and utter bullshit, that guy doing that. I actually just, there's another one in Grand Rapids here. Um, it's, a, it's a picture of a billboard with this guy flexing his muscles. And on each one of his biceps is a, is a physical safe. And it says, keep your 401 and your, your 401k and your IRAs safe. And it's just like, oh, gosh, I, I already know where this is going and you are just 100% playing off of fear and you know and right on there too he talks about market all-time highs which we talked about last week and how we're doomsday is right around the corner and it's like 
shut up, dude. Like, it's just so far from reality that it does frustrate me too to see people marketing off of fear instead of trying to educate people uh, into uh, uh, through optimism and, and through reality. Yeah, not to put too fine of a point. I mean, if you want to do this stuff yourself, I think it's an awesome time uh, right now because you have so much access to so much of this that you can, it's a lot easier, you know, I shouldn't say easier, but there's a lot more access to information and a lot more access to um, the different tools that you can do this yourself. But I think on the other side, it's okay to ask for help. Um, you know, sometimes I see some of the stuff where it's almost like, you shouldn't you oh you're an idiot if you can't do this yourself and it's like well that's that's not really true and that's not really fair um so just it's okay to ask for help what a time to be alive should we transition to uh last topic here sure um so one of the things that's kind of getting a little bit more uh, attention in the, in the news again is our uh is is cryptocurrencies and so i just kind of wanted to get your guys's takes uh isaiah collin on you know your thoughts on cryptocurrencies and what i what we mean by crypto is, um, you know, things like Bitcoin and Ethereum and stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good time to have this discussion again. So obviously, 2018 was a really stressful year for those that were um, owners of any sort of <laughs> cryptocurrency as they went through uh, a kind of the winter. Again, back to a Game of Thrones reference there a little bit. Uh, but this year has absolutely been the best performing asset uh, of anything out there. So cryptocurrency is up, I think, over... 100%, you'd have to check depending on the day because it is extremely volatile, which just means it goes up and down very quickly. There was a, a day where it was down 15%. So if you want to know how much risk you want to take, owning cryptocurrency is a good way to gauge <laughs> that that for yourself. But uh, I personally do not own any. Um, I've tried to educate myself as much as possible because I do find it very intriguing and interested. I invested in a lot of my additional savings into my business. So if there would have been any um, money that I wanted to put towards um, Bitcoin or Ethereum or any other cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, uh, that's what I would have done. So I don't own any, but I, I have educated myself some and, and continue to do. I'm a believer in it. People will call it fake money. Um, how much is fake money than paper notes that are backed by nothing because they're, we're not on the gold standard anymore either. So it's all about what do other people value. And it is difficult for someone that maybe is older to understand what the technology is behind it. And for anyone that says they believe in Bitcoin or don't believe in Bitcoin, but believe in the blockchain, I think that's a good sign they know nothing about cryptocurrency at all or crypto assets. And I, am, I do not feel like I am the foremost excerpt expert in that that field and i would defer to a good buddy again on the fintwit community tyrone ross at tr401 great follow records a lot of videos and is actually someone that's not overboard on you should buy you know pure cryptocurrency and don't own anything else and um there's a lot of things out there outside of it just being um a store of value which people say cryptocurrency but crypto assets is more of how you should think about it because it's not just for buying things there's also um, crypto for building out platforms. And I would tell you the best book that I've read on it is called Crypto Assets by Jack Tarter and Chris Berinsky, which we will link in the show notes. It's an excellent foundational evergreen piece that was written, I think in 2015, 2016 timeframe. It's very, very good and will give you a good baseline knowledge. And if you can't explain it to a friend, what it is, you should not be buying it. If you can't explain it to a, a young child and they say, oh yeah, that makes sense, don't buy it. Form your own opinions. Don't read one blog article and then go plow a bunch of money into it. 
Yeah, I think I'll, I'm going to answer this kind of twofold. Number one, my uh, CFP responsible self, and then number two, my uh, uh, kind of curious self-destructive self. So number one, uh, <laughs> uh, it is it is just it's just like any. I mean, I've got I got clients asking or just friends and family about, you know, especially in the state of Michigan, weed just became legal. Uh, you know, should we be buying weed stocks? Should we be buying Bitcoin? I kind of put them all in the same category, like, or, or gold or any of these just, although that could be a whole nother flare up topic, but, uh, they're, they're speculations. You know, when you're buying something like this, you need to be right. And then the person who buys it from you in the future needs to be wrong uh, for that time horizon. Uh, so, it's just not for me a wealth building tool. So I'm not going, if you like, if I had a client say, Hey, I'm going to put uh, X amount of dollars into cryptocurrency or weed stock or whatever, I'd say, great. What to do your financial plan and pretend that doesn't exist then. Is that okay? And if they're like, no, 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 like this is going to grow up and this is going to be like how I retire. And it's like, okay, we have a whole nother discussion to have then. So it's not a wealth building tool. Use it. To, to scratch an itch uh, if you have to, if you think it's cool, it's interesting, you believe in it, uh, I would just r- highly recommend, please keep it under 5% of your portfolio, uh, you know, and, and, and just have fun with it. But just, it's not a wealth building tool. That's my first and firm, foremost. Uh, second uh, fold on that is that uh, it's down 2.47% today. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't track it that hard, but uh, I, I did actually dabble. I bought some, um, of course, at the uh, all-time high, like literally right when it was at like 17,000. I thought, I know you're reading all this, those uh, tweets and stuff like it's going to 100,000. Uh, I couldn't help myself. So I dabbled with just a couple hundred bucks just for fun, uh, just a, a way for me to track it a little closer. Uh, and then when it did actually drop down to like four or 5,000, uh, I just simply, uh, doubled my position for a third of the price. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, dude, I know. So it was, I, I just think it's kind of funny. I think it's interesting. I like the idea of having some type of current, I think I just fundamentally, I just think it's pretty crazy that, uh, we, we can't have that, that there's so much extra business risk by doing business international and we're becoming a more global world uh, that we're constantly communicating and trading on similar markets and everything is so interconnected that having a currency risk um, just seems and I understand that every government kind of has to have that, uh, but I don't know. I, I could just see a world someday where we're, we are able to have a similar currency and try to take that out of the market. Um, I also really do like the idea of having a decentralized uh, ability to transact money. Um, I think we're getting closer and closer with things like Cash App and Venmo, where we don't necessarily have to have a bank intermediary is what I mean. Um, And that is going through the blockchain. So I'm going to uh, uh, be labeled as an idiot by Isaiah here because I I like uh, Bitcoin because I like blockchain. Um, and, uh, that probably does show that I know nothing about it. And I really am not going to say I'm by any stretch of the imagination an expert. 
Um, but I think that that technology is going to help us with a lot of other things like uh, being able to co-sign or to sign on a property or hopefully maybe someday you can buy a house without having to have all of these you know, title transfer fees and all this crap uh, and having to buy title insurance because you have no idea who's going to come back on you and say, hey, I actually still own the house. And it's like, what? Who are you coming from? Like, I'm hoping that someday this blockchain is going to be able to erase all of that where we now have a permanent history on the exchange of money. Um, so that's kind of my hot take on it. Number one, it's not a wealth building tool. Don't pretend it is. And number two, uh, if you got a scratch and itch like me and you're just super curious about it, uh, just use it as the mindset, like kind of like gambling. Uh, the, if you just go into a blackjack table knowing that your money is already gone, you'll have a lot more fun than trying to actually go there and think that you're going to win it and pay for your vacation or something like that. Um, so that's that's kind of my take on it. Colin, when you say 5% in portfolio, are you talking like investment portfolio or percent of net worth? Uh, well, I guess whatever, I'd probably lean towards the lesser of the two. I, you know, I, I, I say 5% because that seems to be a, like a easy number for you to just blow and be able to still maintain your uh, financial plan. Um, but yeah, you know, if you're, if you're worth, uh, you know, a million dollars, I, oh man, I really hope you're not sitting here with 50 grand in Bitcoin. Holy shit. <laughs> no, that's no. And I, I asked that for exactly that reason. I mean, depending on where you are in life and in terms of how much you built up that, you know, that 5% could be your entire investment portfolio. And that's probably not ideal, but you hit the nail or what I really wanted to say, which was, you know, I get asked these questions, Hey, what are your thoughts on? And I'm probably going to write a blog post on this. Like, like you said, whether it's energy or whether it's Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or, or gold, whatever the well, situation is. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, weed stocks. Yeah. Especially in Colorado, I get, I get the question as well. Um, and, I, and I agree with exactly what you said is I try to go back to what's your financial plan? How does this fit into that? And can we put some parameters mm -hmm. around this thing? Um, and if we can do some of that, then and this isn't going to blow up your plan, then I agree. I do think we're probably in the first inning, or, you know, maybe the first at bat of some of this stuff. I think the other thing too is we live in such a well-mature, you know, financial, um, it, you know, in the United States, like it's just so mature. Everything works so well. We may not think so all the time, but, you know, go to South America, go to parts of Africa. You know, I think some of the use cases for this makes a lot more sense in some of those other countries that are used to crazy inflation or not sure. having their own currency or their currency worth nothing. Um, I just sometimes, you know, I guess speaking for myself, just taking it or take for granted, like how, how good our financial system is. It's maybe it's not perfect, but um, it's a whole heck of a lot better than a lot of others. But yeah, I think you guys both, both said it pretty well as far as like, it's, it's still pretty new. Um, there's a lot to be learned on that. Um, so just kind of anything, Anytime you're asking yourself, should I invest in this? I always try to go back to how does this fit in your plan? Amen. And were you interested in it when it was down 80%? Or are you only interested in it when right. it's up 100? Because that's a, a big determining factor as well. Don't don't start chasing stuff because it's gone up. Yeah, what is the, what is the uh, I think like Brandon Moss from XYAS kind of uses the thing, like if it's on the, you know, the, uh, like the morning news or something, it's kind of the time when you might want to be rethinking that. Like, And it was on 60 Minutes this past week, so... 
Yeah, so, or, yeah, if it's on Good Morning America, it's like, well, you might want to... <laughs> all the information's out there. So what do you know that they don't? Yeah, I think that's so true for anything when you're trying to speculate. Like, if people could see who their competition was at, like, Bloomberg, where you have thousands of people constantly monitoring this stuff, like, buying weed stocks when weed became legal in Michigan was not news to these guys like you know they're managing billions of dollars <laughs> and you know they can make money on just a fraction of a percent um where that's like maybe just our transaction cost uh that the, the price is already in you know fixed into it um and and i would say that about virtually any stock that you're trying to buy because you think amazon's going to go up well please tell me what you know that bloomberg's thousand analysts as a team constantly meeting and talking about this stuff with decades of knowledge doesn't know uh while you're sitting there at your e-trade desk you know on your laptop or on your phone like it's if you could see your competition that'd probably change your uh your strategy a little bit so with that any uh parting thoughts as we uh wrap up kind of wrapping up our first topic i would say Buy a home because you want to customize your living space. Do not buy a home because you think it's a good investment. Boom. Financial literacy is important. And the same thing goes for any sort of investment decision. Make sure you're educated before you make that decision and don't adopt the beliefs of someone else. You know, if you need help, get help. Understand what you're doing and why. You know, come up with a plan and let that be your guide. Cryptocurrencies are not a wealth building tool. Thanks for listening, guys. Have an awesome rest of your day. Financial foresight, out. Thanks so much for listening. We hope we were able to make you laugh and allow you to learn something. For all inquiries and questions, please email financialforesight at gmail.com. If you're on Twitter, feel free to give us a follow and ask a question there as well. Remember the podcast is for general information and entertainment purposes only, and you should not consider what we've talked about investment or tax advice. Please consult your professional team before implementing anything we talked about. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and maybe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you, and thank you so much for listening. We'll be talking again soon.